Last Sunday, standing at the cross as we were figuratively thinking of that, or what we just sang about, the mercy tree, Jesus suffered for sin. First three hours in broad daylight as mankind heaped its last abuses upon him in his holy glory. And then hours of pitch blackness where God himself punishes our sin within his beloved son in holy judgment. And we ended last week with Mark 15, 37, where Jesus breathed his last, culminating the greatest event in the history of the universe to that point. Today, even though there are, if you're looking at your Bible in Mark 15, more things that happen, and you know that there is a resurrection coming in Mark 16, we are going to hit pause in between the last breath of Jesus and the first breath of the risen Christ between Good Friday, we might say, and Easter Sunday, and we're going to extend that out for three Sundays. One of those, we will walk through the rest of Mark 15, probably Palm Sunday, uh, but for these next two Sundays, we're going to think a little bit more along the lines of what we finished with last week, and that was Paul saying, I preach Christ crucified where we might expect him to say, I preach Christ, or I preach Christ crucified and resurrected, he zeroes in specifically on the critical aspect of Jesus' crucifixion and all that that means. So you might say today and next Sunday, we're kind of in a waiting room, or we're in a halftime huddle in between the death and the resurrection, uh, or whatever else might help you in that picture, and we are going to sit at the cross still with the Savior hanging there and behold and marvel at some of what that death and all of the suffering that came with it, that payment accomplished, what Jesus meant by it is finished. Eric Raymond puts it this way. Listen, if you are a Christian, this means that this immeasurably good God, it's a good description, is eternally good towards you. It is as if all of heaven's blessings are backed up in a divine dump truck and unloaded on your doorstep. You are buried in the goodness of God. You could dig and dig and dig forever and never reach the depths of this field of goodness. So I've titled both today and next Sunday either... Gospel gifts lavished on all of us, all who believe, because of the cross, or the enormous gifts, treasures, and riches that Christ purchased for us through the cross in order to give to us. Now, Thursday's email, I sent out a long list, probably uh, I would have, receiving that, just glanced through it. Uh, and maybe felt a little overwhelmed by it. Um, but we'll try and break it down. You'll see in the bulletin today, I don't normally put sermon notes in there, but that's really our outline for the uh, today and next Sunday. And I would just say within this as well that my personal goal when we elders at the beginning of the year shared with each other ways that we want to specifically grow as followers of Christ, mine was that I would grow deeper in my understanding and my grasp and my love for the gospel and my sharing of the gospel. 
So this is part of that outworking that you just have to live with because I get to talk and you have to listen. <laughs> so four areas that we're going to cover. And we're only going to get the first one done today, which might scare some of you from coming back next Sunday. But I really hope you'll be here to get this full picture. Gifts that I categorized under relationship, gifts that deal with our sin, gifts that deal with our standing before God, our position, our identity, and gifts of transformation of our being and our nature, just to try to give some semblance of order. Uh, I've not seen it quite this way in any systematic theology book, which can sound a little scary. This is just the brain of a 50-year-old follower of Jesus. I'm older than 50, but I followed Jesus for 50. A lover of God, a lover of his word, a lover of his gifts that I hope will strengthen and encourage you. I really have four goals in doing this, and I'm just going to tell you up front. Number one, to strengthen our knowledge of the gospel. Let me put it this way. I think we should be able to articulate the gospel precisely, clearly, in a sentence. There's one in the bulletin today is an example of that by Burke Parsons. You'll see a quote there. All of us ought to be able to say, if I get one sentence or I get 30 seconds to tell somebody the gospel, I can do it and present the main big ideas in it. Secondly, we ought to be able to, this is the English teacher me a little bit, we ought to be able to present it in a paragraph or a couple of minutes. We ought to be able to present it in a short essay or in a blog or in something like this, just thinking of the more expanded uh, form of the gospel or what you see in our weekly bulletins normally on the back um, or on the front, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, we ought to be able to present the gospel in a booklet form or a book form. So this is a book we offer to all of you if you ever want to walk, with it, walk through it with someone. Uh, but this would be an example of taking a thought and expanding it even further, but still building off the same core beliefs. And all of us, especially those of us who have walked for a while with the Lord, ought to be able to do a whole book series. So where are you at? Could you express it in a sentence, in a paragraph, in a short essay, in a booklet, in a book, or do you have enough even in you to write a series of books. Paul said at the beginning of his letter to Romans, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. And then he took 11 chapters of Romans to do that. And he just walks through man's fall, the righteousness of God, all of those things are laid out. That's a little bit of what I hope we will expand and grow in through this time. So that, we think of Psalm 71, 15, uh, or possibly 72. I might have a typo. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. Secondly, I hope to strengthen our worship, that all of these should be ways that we expand a thanksgiving to God that express or lead to deeper, 
more profound, more specific, more odd worship of our God. All of these things, none of which we can accomplish, are we simply saying to God, thanks, I could have done it myself, but thank you for doing it for me. No, in all of these, I have nothing, not one of these, apart from you. Third, that it will strengthen our evangelism. That we would not see these as simply things that make us feel good, but things that we long to tell other people about. Our children as we evangelize them, our families, our friends, our coworkers. I hope that it expands the way you can think about bringing somebody to the gospel to talk about Christ in any number of runways. And then fourth, that it will also lead to the bearing of fruit, the living out of that gospel, that the more richly the gospel is working within us, the more powerfully it will express itself. So through, because of, from, Jesus' cross, Jesus' death, these are all languages that the Bible uses, Jesus' body, and his blood come gifts beyond what we can imagine. In both their quality, their excellence, God isn't giving us the revamped goodwill gifts. He is giving us phenomenal ones. And the quantity. I think I've got around 40 or a, few, a little over 40 on the sheet. There'll probably be more that I have this week uh, that I hope we'll still all get through. Uh, because there are just so many. The generosity of, the, of God is astounding toward us. Astounding. Especially in light of what sinners we are. One of the ways God portrays that is in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Where he says, you know, you've been taught, you realize the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake... Here on the cross, ultimately, he became poor. He gave up everything of himself. He exhausted himself in that sense. And here's why. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. And then when you add to that thought, Hebrews 12, 2, that Jesus endured all that he did on the cross for the joy that was set before him for the joy of what he was going to get to be able to do. Jesus was overjoyed to suffer and die that agonizing death for us because of what he would be able to give us on the other side of that. It filled him with joy. It's a situation, and you've perhaps experienced it or seen it, where the giver of the gift is far more excited about the giving of the gift than the receiver of the gift ever is. That's our God. That's the way the Father, the Son, and the Spirit teamed up are toward us. They are far more excited about these treasures that they give us than we, sadly, receiving them and benefiting so greatly from them, are. In Ephesians, Paul particularly, and that's the lower half of this slide, Paul particularly starts pressing on that. He speaks from the very beginning of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Then he starts using the word riches, first of all later in chapter 1. And he describes it as the riches of his glorious inheritance. 
And then in chapter 2, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then in Ephesians 3, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Ultimately, unsearchable because they are beyond what we can even grasp and understand it. Far beyond it. They are infinitely so good. So as we go to prayer, we're going to ask through 1 Corinthians 2, For the Lord's help that we would grasp and be able to search out more of these unsearchable treasures. So I'm going to skip a little bit in here, not read every verse, but join me if you would at the beginning. Paul says, I came to you, the the local church in Corinth. Uh, When I came, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except... Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he explains that a little bit. But verse 6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, here's the secret hidden stuff, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man even been able to imagine what God has prepared, the gifts he is waiting to give those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And now we get some explanation. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts, the goodness, the gifts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, capital S, who is from God. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. That's what I'm praying this morning and next week. And we impart in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Lord, we normally come to you with a text in front of us of a few verses and ask you to plunge us deep into them so that we would see things we've never seen before. Now, Lord, this morning and next Sunday, we ask you to stretch and broaden our wonder far and wide so we can see more fully and clearly what you have prepared for us since even before you created the world that you have now begun to give us because your son died and rose. Gifts that you say are immeasurable and unsearchable. May these things stir our hearts today in great faith to exalt the one who is worthy to receive all power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. In whose name we pray, amen. Still not done introducing, sorry. A few more thoughts. The quality of God's gifts and the quantity two things we've already stressed, are both mind-boggling. Every one of God's gifts to us is perfect. Not one is flawed, not one is incomplete or missing a part. 
None of them are deserved. We haven't earned one of them. We've contributed nothing to any of them. None of them are just for special or favored Christ followers. Every one of them comes to every one of us equally. These are gifts we get now. We don't have to wait for heaven where there are infinitely more and unimaginably greater gifts. Now, we may not get them in whole now, but we have them immediately, instantly started at the moment of our salvation. We begin to experience them and be blessed by them. None of them are labeled, do not open until you get to heaven. None of them are, well, you get this when you reach a certain age. This is a little bit like, not great at illustrations, God handing the keys to a new car to a baby. Knowing that at that moment, the baby will hardly comprehend what those keys are for. But eventually, will realize the gift and all of the blessings that come with it and enjoy it. So these gifts are given to us, whether we comprehend, understand them, or are ready for them or not. They last eternally, forever. And, as we'll note, they're all so interwoven with each other, it's hard to separate them out and just look at one without also seeing others. Many of the verses we'll look at today, you'll see one, two, or three of the qualities on that list of things on the back of the bulletin because they're all just so interwoven. But we will seek to walk through and look at some of these, barely skimming the surface on all of them, but I pray the cumulative effect of seeing all of these will bless your heart and grow your faith tremendously. So we have nine things listed in that first box. Let's start with what I'd call six components or facets of our salvation. So salvation is the big umbrella over it all. Six components or facets that have special magnificence and worth, these first six, if we can weigh them out in that way. Number one, that Christ Jesus died that he might give us God. We're just going to start with that big concept. But let's not just presume that too lightly, too quickly, too easily. We get God, the best news possible. Peter put it this way, Christ suffered for sins, the righteous one for all of us unrighteous ones, that he might bring us to God and all the fullness of God. The gospel does not primarily bring us to an event, a place, an activity, or a thing. It brings us to a person, the person of God. God is not a distant or removed God, giving us little or no access to him. One of the most unique and beautiful and precious traits of Christianity is the two-way relationship Christians get with their God that no other religious experience is quite like. We get to know God, fellowship with him 24-7 without any limit, talking in prayer, hearing from him in his word, communing with him through his people. We get to love him. We get to worship him. We get to live the rest of our life with him. I'm sure there's many times that you have said, as I have, I have no idea how I would get through life without and then Paul goes on in Romans 8.31, one short little line. God is for us. It's part of a question. If God is for us, who can be against us? But the point is, nothing can turn God against us when we have turned to him. The flip of the switch that God makes in his posture 
toward those believing in him. How much has changed, how quickly, how completely is absolutely mind-boggling. Being given God, we receive the blessing of every one of his many, 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 many attributes and aspects of his nature. We could spend the rest of our lives contemplating just those. We receive the blessing and benefit of every one of his names. And we receive the blessing and benefit of all the other gifts that we're going to consider. All of them are ultimately coming from God. The way, again, in Romans 8, it's worded is, if God didn't spare his son, if he didn't hold back the very greatest gift of all, which we'll talk more about it briefly, but he gave him up for us all, how would he not also give graciously give us all things? May we be stunned by that. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift of himself. Specifically within that, then, I'm going to break that down to the Trinity. Christ Jesus died that he might give us a heavenly father. God delights to be to us and for us what he is to his own son, father. Of all the elements of his nature that he could have chosen to highlight, Lord, judge, shepherd, so many, none thrill him more than letting us get to know him and relate to him as a child with a father. So God has sent his spirit into our hearts and that spirit coming in is crying. In other words, announcing, is awakening us to this truth. We get to call this almighty God who should be condemning us, Abba, Father. Paul says, or God says in 2 Corinthians six eighteen, I will be a father to you and you'll be sons and daughters to me. Like the prodigal who came home to a father who was so overjoyed, heaven rejoicing over that son coming. He is near as a father. He is intimate. He is tender. He is loving. Love the promise of James 4, which doesn't say father in it. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But the closer you draw to your father, the more you experience that closeness from him. So many roles that our father fills, so many blessings that come from that. In fact, James notes that every gift we receive is coming down not just from God in general or from the Lord, but from the Father. And let me inject here again because it is so common these days that if Father is not a good concept to you, don't let those feelings lead you to say things like, I have a hard time picturing God in a positive way as my Father because of what my earthly father was like. There are so many father wounds out there, but fight this hard. Fight this settling for, I can't do it. Renew your mind in the truths of the scripture because there is such joy to be found in a father who will not only heal your father wounds from earth, but give you an imaginable relationship with him forever. Third, Christ Jesus died that he might give us himself, and I will emphasize there, all of his fullness. So he doesn't just parcel out some bits and pieces. The fullness of Christ that is offered to us is incredible. Both the Father and the Spirit love for humans to have and enjoy the Son like they do. Philippians 3.8, Paul says, 
In light of knowing Christ, I count everything else as a loss because the worth of knowing Christ is so surpassing, nothing else comes close. But not only are we given this massive blessing to know him, but also Jesus wants to unite himself to us. Stunning truths here. He wants to make us one with him. He with us. For us to be in Christ and for Christ to be in us. Colossians 1.27 captures this, the very hope of our glory. The only way we have any hope of glory on the other side is if Christ is in us. That's the way Paul words it in Galatians 2.20 as well. But the flip side of it is, as it says in Romans 6.3, all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, completely enveloped and immersed and closed into him and the safety and the blessings within that. In ways we can't fully comprehend, God sees in his son, and because we are in his son, us in that same light. Colossians 3.3 even combines that. Your life is hidden with Christ and together in God. Here's the way Dane Ortland teases out this thought. Jesus Christ is closer you, to you today than he was to the sinners and sufferers he spoke with and touched in his earthly ministry. Through, though his, through his spirit, Christ's own heart envelops his people with an embrace nearer and tighter than any physical embrace could ever achieve. His actions on earth in a body reflected his heart. The same heart now acts in the same ways toward us, for we are now his body. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible, immeasurable gift. Fourth, Christ Jesus died that he might give us, you can guess this one, the spirit and all that comes with that. Though often he is the less thought of and less enjoyed member of the Trinity, it is phenomenal the role that the spirit has in all of these gifts. So both the Father and the Son love for humans to have and enjoy the Spirit the way that they do. Salvation always comes with the precious and powerful presence of God into us. Simply in 1 Thessalonians, God gives his Holy Spirit. There's just as blatant of a gift as you can think of it. But Romans 8 really unpacks it in verses 9, 11, and 14 in particular. First of all, you're not in the flesh but you're now in a new way. There's a whole spiritual realm in which, because of your faith in him, you're in the spirit. In fact, if the spirit of God, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ, see what Paul did there? Spirit of God, spirit of Christ, they're the triune God all working together, does not belong to him. So in a sense, we can say we are in Christ and we are in the spirit, and we can say Christ is in us and the spirit is in us all woven together, all at work. Uh, verse 11 goes on to a pact that anymore. Verse 14, speaking of being led, and there's all kinds of additional things. The Spirit comforts us. He guides us. He empowers us. He grants us understanding. That's what 1 Corinthians 2 was so about. He gives us wisdom and insight and so many ways in which he helps our every need. That's why Jesus said when he was leaving, it is better for me to go away so that the Spirit may come. In other words, that there will be far richer blessings 
because of him working in each believer than in Jesus individually as a human body being here. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible, immeasurable gift. We can say the next two, God's love and God's grace, perhaps the two most prominent emphasized gifts in the New Testament. Many, many verses we'll just barely touch on. The love of God, the deep, deep love of God that we sang about, the perfect love of God that hundreds of verses highlight and speak of throughout both the Old and the New uh, Testament. Perhaps no aspect of God and salvation is emphasized more. Here are just a few reminders. Here's how any human being even knows love. You can measure it by Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. Romans 5, 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Spirit. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given us. It is a unique and it is a spectacular, phenomenal, unbelievable love. The way the NIV words that, the way I memorized it uh, while I was teaching, how great a love the Father has given us. How great, how phenomenal. Later in 1 John chapter 4, so many verses about God's love there. But there we're told that love is from God, and we're actually told that God is love. A unique way in which it is stated that that is a very part of his whole being in nature. And then twice it tells us, here's what love is. First, God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And then here's the second way that we know what love is. Not that we've loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We'll talk about next week, Lord willing. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift of love. Sixth, Christ Jesus died that he might give us grace. The danger in this one is we've heard it so much and we use it so much, we've just become easily dulled to what an amazing thing grace actually is. You've probably heard the acronym, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, indicating that what is so freely given to us, all of these riches, all have come at the expense of Christ. Very similar language in giving and in gifts when the scriptures use those as well. So in John 1.16, John noted about Jesus very early on capturing him, from his fullness, from the massive exhaustlessness treasures of all Jesus is, we have received grace upon grace, and you all know we can go infinitely upon grace. We can't even say it fast enough for all the grace that we are receiving. Maybe no passage unpacks this more vividly than Ephesians 2, particularly in salvation, but certainly grace goes far beyond that. Talks about God's mercy and how rich he is. He talks about God's great love. But here's where he brings it. When we were dead and God made us alive, and now he injects the first of twice saying this, by grace you have been saved. Then he goes back to the gifts, raising us up, seating us with him in the heavenly places. And here's why. So that he could ultimately show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God wants to eventually show all how rich his grace has been toward us. And then the familiar, by grace you have been saved. This isn't your own doing in any way. Don't you ever think you contribute anything to any of these. All of it is a phenomenal, incredible gift of God. Making judgment calls here.
One verse, let me just show it to you quickly because I think it captures, especially if you've ever heard, the Trinity isn't ever in a single verse. Uh, This is a benediction we often use, but notice how it captures the grace and the love, captures all three members of the Trinity, and it captures the relational aspect of God relating with us. So it's a tremendous encapsulating of the six things that we've talked about so far. Uh, But let's press on. Now, you might expect mercy to be in this place, and it would be very fitting for it to be here. I chose to hold it until the category of what God does with our sins because of what he is withholding because of that. So let's motor through three more blessings of relational gifts that come to us. This one seems out of order that we, Christ Jesus died, that he might give us the gift of reconciliation or being reconciled to God. Like we don't get any of those other things without this happening, but all of it's happening so simultaneously. Here's what we're highlighting. That what has been broken, how we have been separated, all that's been wrong between us and God has been made right. That Christ Jesus has brought that healing of the brokenness and restored it and made it even better. Colossians 1. You once were alienated from God and hostile toward him in your minds, doing evil deeds, all of us. Now he is reconciled in his body of flesh by his death so that he can ultimately present you holy and blameless. What a reversal of things through reconciliation. Romans 5. We once were enemies and now those enemies have been reconciled to God by the death of his son. And then God calls us also to be reconcilers. And then 2 Corinthians 5.15. And I think reconcile is used three more times in this little paragraph after this, but this captures The big idea of that God through Christ reconciled us to himself. He initiated, he did the action, and he has made it right, and now gives us that same ministry of reconciliation. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible, immeasurable gift of reconciliation. Eighth in our list, Christ Jesus died that he might give us the gift of adoption into the family of God. Now, the Bible speaks of us being born into the kingdom of God. The Bible speaks of us being raised or resurrected, raised from the spiritual death, but it also speaks uh, of us being adopted. And this is the idea of that you actually become family. You don't just join this, the ranks of the army of God. You actually are welcomed into the household of God and given immediate status. Nobody is a nobody with God or a number, or a thing. We are the very children of God. Ephesians 1, in love he predestined, he planned from the very beginning to adopt us to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of his will. That's what's going to be to the praise of his glory. Romans 8, you haven't received from God now in Christ a spirit of slavery and fear but you've received a spirit of adoption. It couldn't be any warmer, any more welcoming to be the child of God. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible, immeasurable gift of adoption. And finally for today, Christ Jesus died that he might give us intercession or his interceding, mediating, being the mediator between us and God. Sinful beings need a go-between between them and God, and only one meets the requirement. So 
1 Timothy 2. There is one God and there is one mediator. Or as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. One mediator, one door, one way. And it goes on to describe him giving his life on the cross. Romans 8. Who can condemn us? Because if Jesus died and raised and is at the right hand of God, he's interceding for us there. We have no condemnation. We have nothing that can separate us from that. And then one other way that it's portrayed in Scripture is Jesus as high priest. Jesus has a lot of roles. There are many, many ones we could highlight here. But this is, I think, a particularly pertinent one here with intercession. It says, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost all who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives, this is what he is doing even this moment as you're sitting there and I'm preaching, making intercession for every one of us. Hallelujah. Dane Ortland again. Intercession is the constant hitting refresh of our justification in the court of heaven. His interceding for us reflects his heart, the same heart that carried him through life and down into death on behalf of his people is the heart that now manifests itself in the constant pleading upon his Father to always welcome us. His posture right now as he is in heaven, his disposition, his deepest desire is to pour his heart out on our behalf before the Father. The intercession of Christ is his heart connecting our heart to the Father's heart. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible, immeasurable gift of intercession so we've covered nine and we've got 30 some to go next week you can pray about that i <laughs> we we just may do some later as well um and i know that there's many that i've missed probably sitting there you were thinking why didn't you highlight this why didn't you highlight this there's so many let me finish with just this thought uh or a couple of thoughts from second corinthians 4 7 first of all Paul here writes, we have this treasure. We have all these gifts from God in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not us in salvation. God puts the greatest treasures of the universe in something no other human rich person would put into us, clay pots. Yet that is exactly where God wants to put his riches so that they display the power in saving us. When we sing, it is well with my soul. Our jars of clay bodies are often hurting, suffering, broken, and struggling. But our soul, given all these gifts, is well. It is well. It couldn't be better. And there's more to look at next week. Thanks be to God for the treasures that he puts in jars of clay who believe that his son died to ransom them from sin and hell. Father, we just simply close with the worship of heaven that you show us in Revelation 5. Worthy is the Lamb whose slain made all of these gifts possible. 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Amen.